and we're back um that was a short uh i wouldn't want to call it a commercial break because i mean there's no one who's sponsoring the event so it's not a paid event uh and the government again is on the tail of anyone who is being sponsored or being paid and so no one is paying for it it's paying from our pocket so that's not taxable so we're back um so when we went for the break one of the things that i wanted to begin on is you know how do you build from the grounds up so i do understand the whole structure that needs to be there and the leadership buying okay and um one of the things that i do agree with especially in a large organization because the complexities of organizations you can't just do away with overnight it takes time to even reorganize that complexity okay so there is the need to have a team high above and you know um it could be a team at the c suite or a team that reports to the c suite okay that is actually held accountable on the results of the agile adoption initiative okay i don't want to call it a project or initiative but the the agile adoption strategic decision let me say that way so it has it there's an accountability to it and i think when you have an accountability attached to it then they have a reason why to do it okay and then that then again speaks to how then does it the tentacles how it spreads across the organization and then when you start hearing about these terms like you know agile for non tech teams like agile for hr agile for finance then it starts to come in and i think tend to believe one of the biggest um collaborators that you need to have by your side if you're going to have a successful agile adoption is hr on your side and over last year there's something i came to learn in two at two levels what you call hr for agile and agile for hr okay so when because if you think about it in a way hr is more or less the custodian of the culture of the organization and they can easily help that um conversation right so that narrative can actually take place very well so that is quite important so basically what i'm talking about is the you know those two structures that you need to have in place but now as you come in so as you come in say maybe you come in as the agile coach you've been hired as richie agile coach for x limited company to help roll out the initiative where do you start since you're looking at me and you've called out my name i assume you, the question is directed at me uh i i would, I would look for quick wins um in fact uh, what i would i would recommend is look for a function within the organization that has a wide reach has a wide reach that touches all facets of the organization uh, pick up pick a project that lends itself easily to or an initiative or whatever you want to call it that lends itself easily to an agile way of working and make a success of it so that you can demonstrate that number one it's possible to work in an agile way and you can actually get outcomes and as the coach you'd make sure that at least in my in in, in my role if I was a coach I would I would uh, advise the client that they should make sure that as the team is working on that initiative or whatever it is a project that they have fun doing it so that people see that it's not a painstaking process that you need to undertake and then with that one win you build upon it and look for a second and a third win and 
I'm, I'm sorry I'm biased because I do a lot of IT initiatives. I would use IT as a vehicle. So because uh, IT projects are far-reaching. Heck, heck, it could be a HR system you're putting in, you know, those kind of things. Even if it's just a function of that particular project, doesn't have to be the entire project. Do it in an agile way. Let people talk about the successes. Let them celebrate it and people see that agile works. And then it like a cancer. Okay, cancer is a bad example. Like a good feeling is going to spread across the organization. <laughs> okay, so uh, a cancer. Wow. Not a cancer. Hey, scrap that. <laughs> it's not a cancer. Like a good feeling. <laughs> okay, then. So uh, how I will do it is totally dependent on how big the organization is. Personally, I normally take one to three months just to learn how the company works. Because I've come to notice that some scenarios, I've seen um, experts coming in, they want to fully know how the teams work, but the teams are never fully, fully honest with uh, how things are. So you end up providing a solution that ends up being half-baked. So for me, I'll take uh, one to three months, depending on how big the company is. Then from there, just, you know, just analyze Sit down with guys, ask the, you know, like the, the retrospective questions. Uh, if you're given an option to make this company better, make this team better. So what, what, would, what would you like? How would you implement this? Once you have those questions, okay, they're like conversation starters or conversation question starters. Once you have them, you find guys actually opening up even more. Then from there, it gives you like a guideline on how to assist. Then you jump onto the quick wins. Uh, then from there, you you now start assessing. Uh, I can give an example with a with an organization with an organization that I I was in. So I jumped in. I was told this is a very problematic team. They do not deliver, and I was like, okay, then. Uh, huh. So who do I speak to? I was told speak with this lead. Then this lead will actually give you the download. So I had tea with the, with a guy, and I was like, uh, "Tell tell me." The guy's like, uh, "There's just too much." As in, it's too much. As in, there's no we, we can't see anything. It's just, you know, priority of a priority of a priority. Everything was just juggled up. Then I asked, "If you are given the power to change this, how would you do it?" I would say number one is to lock out all clients. That don't meet the criteria then i just fed in a small thing why don't you create a checklist just to say uh the sales team when you're onboarding someone this is the bare minimum that we need for us to sort out that service and he was like hmm that's not a bad thing then a father told him then why don't you have another checklist a technical one like for this server this port all this need to be provided and you give out an SLA saying that if you provide this within an hour or two or three, or maybe within a day, your service is already up. They did it. What happened? They sieved up over 200 clients who had been pushed by leadership or by management, having that they were big clients. But you find a scenario where a customer doesn't even have a server and you've pushed in the service, but there's no endpoint to it. So they sieved up of the team is among the most performing teams of the time I left the company. You see, as in it's asking the questions, getting to know how things work. 
then from there, put in these initiatives. Then you stay there and say this is agile because you listen to the customer and so on. It's all about the hamburger party. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so for me... Um, it, for me, it will drill down, and that's the biggest question for me, that um, the powers that be or the who it is, the who it is in the organization needs to answer. And that is, why are you moving the organization from um, this type of operating model to this type of operating model? Remember, those are two different operating models. So that's where the conversation begins. Why are you moving, changing the operating model? What has been the challenge with the other operating model. Now, if the current operating model is where we call, I tend to call it um, <clears throat> handover. So this team does this, then they hand over to the next team, then they hand over to the next team, then they hand over to the next team, right? And over time, um, you find that certain barriers have been put into place and you've had what you tend to call gatekeepers. And this is what you tend to call gatekeeping, right? So each person looks after themselves. So by the time you hand over this over to me, you need to have met certain criteria before I even engage, right? So that is where you begin by looking at the pain point. What are the pain points currently in the organization? So a big, a key thing that is going to hit any agile adoption is the cultural practices within the organization, right? So by first of all beginning to understand the why and understanding that this is going to touch to your core habits. And remember, this is something that uh, if you look at some of the values and principles of agile is that agile is going to expose or unearth some of your bad practices, right? And nobody wants, you know, their dirty laundry to be exposed, right? Nobody wants to see, to be seen that, okay, I'm putting on some very expensive shoes, but I'm underneath I have torn socks or smelly socks, right? But Agile is going to do that, okay? So how are you going to deal with those torn socks and smelly shoes, smelly feet, okay? So that is the cultural element. And to be able to dissect and understand the different cultural structures that exist within an organization, depending on the type of organization. So startups have a different kind of culture. Uh, tech or software companies tend to have different kind of a culture, where, for example, they tend to look at excellence because we find that some of the key leaders in those in a tech organization have gone through that, maybe was a previously a developer who is keen on certain uh, development practices, right? My, my previous boss now at... Um, at, at Google, you know, he was he was quite keen on quality, right? So for him, if you're going to build a Lamborghini, it better it better looks, feel, smell, you know, drive like a Lamborghini, at to your code to the level of your code, right? But again, so he was quite keen on um, that user experience. He wanted you to have that level of user experience, right? So to be able to understand, to have to ask that, so you know, that means that that culture in that organization is quite different. So once that is understood, and again, like I said, you need to have level of accountabilities. Remember, I've not really defined the teams, things like that. So I think 
as you begin, you begin the conversations with the people, the, you know, the people who pay the money, right? Uh, who have the power to shift decisions and no, the movement. And for me, I think that's where it begins. And as I close on my part, it is important also to derive that or to build that journey with the help of the people inside. Sometimes we say, people don't say that, no, insiders are some of the most difficult people. But let's look at the success of um, Microsoft and how Satya, when he came into Microsoft and how he shifted the whole cultural thought, right? From where, and he said, and I remember while reading his book, uh, Reset. It's called what Reset? I'm forgetting. Heat Refresh. Heat Refresh. He says that uh, there's a particular ad that used to, you know, um, get to his, to his skin. So there's a, an ad, a caricature that was put on one of the dailies showing the culture to Microsoft. You know, guns pointing at each other, you know, knives being, people hugging each other, but knives are and, you know, in, in their backs. You know, so so it, was, it was a culture of, you know, uh, I look after myself and I, I rise above at all costs. I don't care about anybody else. I care about myself. I don't care about you. So he needed to change that culture. And by doing so, he also looked within the team because as he rose in, uh, has he, today if you look at uh, Asia as a success, you need to look, sometimes you need to also go back and look at the journey where Asia began. Asia, it was, I, I can't remember the name that they used, the name of the, but it had some Microsoft uh, annotation to it, right? But the people who used to work on that product had a big vision, but the problem is that they were being clouded or, you know, there were certain boots that on top of them that could not allow for those ideas to, to sprout. So the whole idea is he, he realized that for this thing to sprout, then there are certain talents and, you know, elements in the organization that can actually help me move faster because these people really understand the genes, the genetics of the organization. And having, and that's what um, drives me to know, having champions within the organization that already understand how the organization works. And they already built some level of trust. And that is where you begin. And then you settle at a place where you need to really teach Agile for it to work. I agree and disagree uh, on the last bit. So it's good to have internal guys. But if you have someone who has, what's, what's the right choice of words? has already been poisoned by the culture, the cultural mindset you want to shift. It messes things. It, it does more harm than good. But if you bring in a wild card to become a local resource, so this is someone outside, is now joining the company, he or she can know where to place the levels. Uh, let me, let, me, let, me, let me give an example. So in um, the ceremonies that I do in the company that I'm in, things were just the normal way. You know, if it's a stand-up, yes, we've done this, we've done this, it's done. When you're moving into uh, the planning sessions, it's, it's just cut across. It's, it's just... I don't want to say too formal, but it's somehow a little bit boring. On my end, 
my trainings. I bring in funny clips from, uh, from YouTube. I bring in funny quotes, like not even my breaks. We actually have like a dancing theme where I play music, we put a timer there, you know, it's, it's your break time. But even as you're recording, whatever we are doing, as in it, it removes things from the norm. Uh, back in banking, things were already the same, same thing. It was tap, tap, tap. You know, it's, it's like you're in the army. Then I'm here telling guys, ah, guys, I'm buying guys lunch. Guys are eating in the office. Guys are like, wow, this has never happened. As in, yes, you need someone or you need people inside. But I feel there's an aspect of you bringing in a wild card, someone from outside coming in, not as a consultant, but like a, you know, like a permanent employee to spice up things and move things to move forward faster. Because remember, guys will be like, this guy, doesn't know, <laughs> this guy doesn't know how we do things here. But they're like, but I like the way he's doing things. You know, uh, my thoughts. I, I don't know, uh, Rich, if you have the same thing, thinking or... Uh... Kind of, uh, to, to some extent, because I, I, I tend to look at it a bit more long term in terms of the fact that, uh, and, and it goes back to the whole thing of culture, which is, the whole campaign of Agile will be won or lost on the battlefield of the cultural mindset. Uh, so it's, it's, it's cultivating those practices, be it with an individual, with a team, that helps the mindset uh, stick. And people are then able to then uh, grow and spread this mindset amongst each other. So, yeah, I agree with you. Probably you you take one team and work with them, have a wild card that basically swims upstream against the, the set culture. <laughs> but you need to have a way in which you protect that particular team from the environment because if they're swimming upstream, trust you me, they'll step on a lot of toes. Um, in, and you need to shelter them in with, with, with sufficiently so that people can see the results and see beyond the practices that they're undertaking to say, okay, fine, we like the results, so we don't think what you're doing is that crazy, and we're willing to give it a chance. Then you have a, a, a good opportunity for, for basically getting Agile to, to move into other teams and into, into the wider organization. But if you're just seen as an oddball team, you know, those guys just do crazy things. We don't even know how they achieve results. And that's it. <laughs> uh, it, it may not go beyond the team. People yes. would think it's because you're a bunch of crazy guys and somehow some you're able to, to get the results. But if people start admiring and wanting to, to partake, probably even by joining the team from time to time, Exactly. As, I, I, guess, as... I guess that's where now the Agile Center of Excellence comes in, or the Agile Studio, or because now you bring in the aspect of whoever who wants to come and join and push change in their different teams. Without formally calling it that. Yes. Because yes. people would then think, uh, there's a time I did some work at a bank and it was at the Innovation Hub and people wanted to come to the Innovation Hub, not because of the cool innovation happening there, because they had an the open name. workspace, they had a pool table, <laughs> they had, you tell the, the, the allures of, the, of the, the bells and whistles and not exactly for how the people work or what, what, what outcomes you're trying to achieve. 
So you need to be very careful how you, you structure it in such a way. The, the more informal, in my opinion, the better, because people would literally want to stay there because they want to be there, so, not so, because of so, so like have a, a name cool like, office. Like or, Agile Champions, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's because you guys, the way you work and you hang out with pizzas on Fridays, among us, this is something I would want to participate in. and uh, Not because, yeah, you you guys have a good... The joint that supplies you so, pizzas. Today, the analogies of food, my goodness me. Now, now the problem with that, um, still in another uh, another organization. So the Agile team was put on a different floor than the rest. So it reached to a point where now the other team members were like, those guys are loved more than us. We don't deserve to be there. So, so that, that, that's what I was pointing out. Having like an Agile studio, like it... <sighs> It doesn't have to be something physical per se. It could be something that we do, like uh, we're having trainings. Uh, like in another company that I was in, I was pushing something we call Agile Nuggets, where, in, where every 15 minutes, every week, a specific time, I have already sent uh, an invite for the whole company for them to jump in, ask any question, I have a topic, if someone wants to you know, just to push in that collaboration or that thinking across the board. Like it's not something like it's it's yours, it's it's for everyone. So I, I fully get what you're saying. As I've said, once you have that experimentation phase, once you understand the culture, it's it, it's easy to know how to use the correct terms. Because whatever whatever you're saying is the same thing. But in different organizations, it might mean something completely different. But here's the thing, yeah. Well, I have nothing against bringing in experts from outside to help. But uh, one thing that um, you have to be conscious about, the reason why sometimes the people internally are lax in terms of, you know, um, that enthusiasm that you need to change the organization is because of what they've been exposed to, what they have seen, right? Poisoned. So <clears throat> the whole idea is, and uh, I think that is where it, it boils down to, uh, what did I want to say? Um, why you need to look within. And because the people themselves within, they already have an idea of how, th and how things work. And perhaps this is, again, the other reason why the failure or the costs of an abor aborted or botched Agile transformation doesn't just lie on the money spent or even the time that was spent, but you look at um, the hopes that were shattered, right? Because normally for many organizations, when the talk of agility props up, you tend to see faces lighting up, reason being. Now, they believe it is an opportunity or a chance for certain things to change. One, how releases are done, how products are built, how ideas are gathered, you know, collated into value stream. And they tend to think that now um, their efforts, their skills will amount to something that they'll be proud of. They'll be part of a product that, you know, they can always talk to their friend about that. No, I was part of that product that you're actually using. So when it fails, it even becomes more costly for the next person. In fact, the, the 
the next person who comes back to try and salvage the situation, the the effort now becomes twice or three times more difficult because people will be like, we've seen this happen before. And that's why it's important to guard against that. And part of the reason, again, why sometimes you need to, again, look inside. Because one of the dangers, I think, also of over relying on experts, where you want to go hire all the experts out there to go get all your product managers there, all your scrum masters, all your agile coaches, you want to go hire them from outside the industry, you know. And of course, it comes with a cost, right? Is that, like you say, some people within the organization will start feeling alienated, right? They will start thinking that, okay, they, this thing looks like to be something special for certain people. But when there's that inclusive conversation and it goes back to the why, where you have an honest conversation throughout the organization and I always call it therapy, you know, you're having therapy sessions. And part of the reason why, in as much as we've always talked, you no, know, let's start small with, you no, know, let's look for areas to apply the practice then it thrives. You know, it's like planting a garden, then the garden starts thriving. It goes back again to why it is important to involve leadership. And the leadership, agile leadership has to be intentional. Even when you're going to set up an agile center of excellence, there has to be some sort of responsibility and accountability behind that center of excellence. What is it aiming to achieve? What are, it, what are its goals? It has to constantly review. And it does that vis-a-vis what's happening across the organization. Then we start talking about you know, practices. But then, again, we still have, we have to go back to an organization that's already established. Let's look at a, an example of a bank or an insurance company. One of the key... So, and the saddest bit is that you have to look across. You have to look at technology. You have to look at processes. You have to look at people, Right? And here's the thing, which is, I think, what you also have to be conscious about is that you have limited amount of time within which to do this. And, and that, for me, goes back to why intentional leadership that goes after a certain value is important, right? And then focusing on how to teach, you know? So you teach, you practice. You teach, you practice. You teach practice for me that is the maneuvering we could be saying the same thing in different words maybe yeah <laughs> but um, i'm actually um, of the opinion that um, for for large established organizations what i call the incumbents the agile journey is much 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 more long as it's much longer uh, than any startup. I think that's what's been observed. And that's why a lot of them all actually try and set up what they call, uh, what are they called? Uh, disruptors, that to disrupt themselves. And that's where Agile tends to, they try to, to run Agile in those organizations trend and 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 get the adoption there before it then trickles into the, to the large organizations. Uh, but back to my original uh, comment, the journey is long. I think if you're cognizant of the fact that because you have a lot of um, heritage, if I can use that, which is either good or bad culture, whatever you want to call it, 
you have a lot of undoing of knots that needs to happen in the organization before you can then be able to get people into the right mindset. Sometimes it's even a question of generational change in that certain people retire and a whole new generation of people who work in that organization come in. I think to your point on Satya Nadella and the transition that happened was... uh, yeah, it took that leadership and a whole lot of people who moved into the organization to facilitate the the, the refresh that he talks about in his book. So uh, I just wanted to jump in and uh, ask how much is enough time? I, I entered a very big argument with um, one, one director when it when I told him, for us to be agile in this company, it's a minimum of five years. And that means you are really pushing it. But judging by your culture, we are talking seven to ten years. The guy was pissed. <laughs> Actually, the so, question you should have asked him is, how hungry are you for this change? Because if you're, if you're very hungry, you should dismantle the organization and start it afresh. You'll get it in three months. <laughs> but that is, that is actually more difficult than... than adopting the change over time. So he has to choose between the blue and the red pill and decide which one he wants to to take up because they, they, it, you're between a rock and a hard place, if you ask me. But also, I think it, it boils down to... Because, again, if you look at a CEO uh, or a CFO, at the end of the day, you know, it, for them, it's how do we get the bottom line right? But over a 12-month period, so, they are measured uh, every 12 you, months. Remember, uh, remember, the problem is never the bottom line. So I think for me, the, one... The I problem think, is the, the whole so, cultural aspect in the middle. So I think it comes down for... I think this is the conclusion I've made. While it's going to be a journey, that's one thing I'm conscious of. It's a journey, right? It's, it could be more than even that seven years, Right. So for me, when you look at that journey, it's like climbing in Kenya, which is the tallest mountain, Mount Kenya. Yes. Now there are different peaks, right? As you get to each peak, you see the next peak. You get to each peak, you see the next peak. The the problem, I, I see where you're going. The problem with that, with a big organization, is that you will you will think that you're going on the right path then things go completely sideways when leadership starts saying, we've started understanding Agile, so let's do this. Let's now make the whole organization Agile. That is the biggest problem. Because I've seen many companies, even in Kenya, they push the whole Agile thing across the whole company so fast. You've just given uh, the Agile team that's doing experimentation six months to a year. Trust you me, that is still... They're still playing in playing in the baby pool. Then you push the whole organization. We have tried this; it works. Now let's do this. The whole company. Now we are moving agile, and see, it hasn't reached to a point where the different teams are now adopting agile on their own. So, so I, I know where you're going. I know everything is step by step, but this is just a pointer to the big organizations. Because you see, if you're doing that to a startup, the the big thing it works tremendously well, but a big it's like it's like Titanic. Then we're trying to push it from zero to five hundred k. To try and do motorboat stunts with exactly with the Titanic. The Titanic. It's, so it's, the French says in a possible. So so basically, <laughs> um, 
I think at at the at the core end of it is what are the different value points? Why, why are we doing it? Because it goes back to that question. Why, why are we doing this? Okay. So then the organization then begins to once you've really identified your why, you start looking at what are the where are the different value points we can easily achieve, right? So <clears throat> let's take an arbitrary look. Today, uh, you, the only way you can gain advantage is to be a fast mover. So you want to move to the market as fast as possible, and not just moving as fast as possible, but also going into the market with what actually makes sense to the customer, right? Is it making sense to the customer? So the whole idea is um, where are the different value points? And um, sometimes uh, for the C-suite, the, the whole idea for them is the best way to convince me to invest more into this is show me the advantages and the wins that you're getting, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest, maybe one, and it goes back to now, uh, the different layering that you have to do as you start to roll out your Agile now. So you already understood your vision. So it now goes to the layering now. What are the processes that are there? Who are the different teams that are there? Um, what is the work that needs to be done? Okay. Then um, <clears throat> how are we going to measure the, the output, right? How are we going to move away from you know, the traditional method of assessment to a different way of assessing how well we are actually getting better at Agile. And it goes back to, if you look at uh, the different state of the Agile report, right? How do you measure success? And success, if you look at them, it's twofold. There's what is inwardly facing and there's what is outwardly facing. Now, this could be in terms of, when you look at... Um, outward facing success, you could be talking about things like uh, how do we improve our net promoter score, right? Uh, through maybe customer satisfaction, business value achieved, business objectives achieved, right? Internally, we're looking at how, may, how fast, how many releases are we doing, how successful are our releases, things like that. Um, so, but there has to be some guiding principles. And I think having that center of excellence and this is sometimes some people call it the agile office or maybe things like that, that actually monitor. So that is, that actually monitors it. So there has to be someone who is accountable there. And why that's why it's important maybe also to have a voice into the right places, right? So someone who will tell maybe the CEO or the CFO, yes, I know this is, this is what you're thinking, but it's actually working and we can actually show you the numbers, the data, things like that. So that's close collaboration. So I think we're almost out of time. And I know, Job, I'm doing your job, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's a good segue into next topic, which is Agile Metrics. It's a very hot topic. Yes. Uh, which I think we need to thrash out. And probably. also have, have an aspect of talking about Agile and being a delivery manager. I feel those are two roles that have uh, an agile coach and a delivery manager that have been mashed up and they shouldn't because so i have actually can an, a delivery manager be an agile coach dun, dun, dun. job job <laughs> job you must have an opinion so we go to a break back in five minutes 
Five minutes are gone for today. See you next time. Bye bye. <laughs> This guy is still not with us. He's not convinced. <laughs>